Hello and welcome to Gunfighter Cast episode 57. I'm your host, John McGregor, and also here, of course, with me is Daniel Shaw. Daniel, how's it going? Hey, John, how are you? Oh, very good. Good to have you back after your uh, long trip away uh, out in the field. Uh, Man, it's so good to be back in not so extremely cold weather. I was in six or seven feet of snow the whole time. It snowed almost every day. Even wearing snowshoes, I was dropping to my waist with my pack on and everything. It was just miserable. And uh, I hated every second of it. But there was still, even though I hated every second of it, there were still seconds that were still good. I had a good time training with the uh, uh, 5th Regiment of the Japanese Self-Defense Force up on Hokkaido, uh, Japan. And uh, had the pleasure of training with some of their snipers. They got a new sniper program going on. I've talked before in Gunfighter Cast about Japan being a nanny state and people with cartoon hair and little cartoons everything and everywhere and a bunch of little pansies all over the place where they could line up. And you know, I'm not the greatest fighter ever, but I could basically beat the crap out of anybody here if they lined up. I found the real men of Japan, and they live in uh, where I was at, in the snow in Hokkaido. Uh, so that was uh, pretty refreshing to hang out and train with those guys. Oh, that was good. Um you know, we didn't talk about it before we came on, but, um, you know, just having you talk about the cold and stuff, was there uh, anything that came out in your exercise that, uh, you know, something that maybe we don't think about all the time, but because, you know, the weather's cold, you know, did you see any, I don't know, malfunctions or anything that you wouldn't see otherwise? Well, we d- we didn't do any live fire. There wasn't available to live fire up there. It was all movement, contact drills, force on force type stuff. And uh, basically, when I was teaching the snipers was movement and uh, concealment, sitting in a hide, constructing a hide and hanging out for a while, uh, keeping observation techniques. You know, camouflage itself changes in the snow, not simply because of colors like it does in most environments, but the snow makes things so difficult to cover tracks, uh, where you've been, where you're going. It's so easy to be spotted because, you know, a lot of the underbrush is covered in snow when it's that deep. Um, movement is very, very difficult to not get compromised. But once you actually find a hide and it's pouring down snow, you can basically cover yourself up with a sheet and let it snow on you for a couple of hours, and you are perfectly hitting, hidden. So it's, uh, it kind of offers some more challenges, but it also offers... offers uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, good things, I guess, for concealment as well. But definitely something that I, I don't want to fight in that environment uh, ever. It was pretty uh, pretty intense. Oh, that's cool. Interesting. Yep. So uh, that's what I did. Uh, you know what? Since we're talking about what I've been doing, let's, uh, let's do something we don't usually do. We didn't talk about this before either. I love unplanned things in Gunfighter Cast. Let's steal something from the gun dudes and talk about what we did in guns. Well, um... I don't know if we can really do what we did in guns this week because I don't think we've talked for about a month now. But uh, uh, let's see. I've uh, well, I can't. I, don't, I can't go into everything I did with guns. I mean, I had a gun in my hand a lot of times, but I didn't get to shoot it or anything. Everything I'm going to talk about that I did in guns happened in uh, the past three days since I've been home. Oh, cool. Go. I'll let you go first. And oh, okay, got it. Well, as uh, some of you Facebook followers may know by now. Um, myself and my wife are going to the Gun Dudes Mag 40 in Utah because I had such an awesome time last time, last year, and learned so much. I just, my wife has been really excited and really wanting to carry when she gets back concealed. And before she would just open carry every once in a while, and now uh, she really wants to to go all out. And uh, 
I'm thinking the best possible thing for her to do before she goes starts carrying back in the States is take a Mac 40 class. I don't think there's any better preparation for that. So uh, you know, we're throwing down the cash and we're saving every single penny that we have right now to get to Utah uh, in September and do the shoot the Mac 40 and maybe hang out. We're going to make a vacation. We've never been on vacation before ever. Uh, we always, when we get a little bit of time, we go see the family because we don't see them very much. Uh, but we said last time we were home, we were never going on vacation again uh, to our home. We're going to actually, one of these days, take a real vacation just for us. So this is going to be it. This is going to be our first vacation. So we're going to go to Utah, shoot Mac 40, then hang out for a little bit and just enjoy ourselves and uh, have a vacation. So really excited about that. And for that Mac 40, I still got to get my wife a belt and some magazine pouches. But I ordered her a Raven Concealment holster for her Glock 19. And while I was there, I went ahead and ordered me a Raven Concealment holster for my M9. Uh, so that's what we'll be carrying and shooting there at the Mag 40. We just got to get together a little bit more cash for some ammo and, you know, everything else that's going to cost money. But uh, it's going to all work out. We've already got the budget. and We're really excited about doing it. And uh, some of the same people that are shooting last year are going to be there again. And I've already seen a few people post that they're going. Uh, that I haven't met yet. So really looking forward to meeting listeners and hanging out. I had an awesome time last time. So please hit up Gun Dudes. Go to that Mag 40. It's going to be a great time. You're going to come out of that thing glad you spent the money and uh, got the training and, and got to hang out with everybody that's there. Uh, that was an advertisement slash what I did with guns. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, that's pretty much it. You know, it's as far as what I did with guns is order that stuff. I did get an eating tool. Using the Gun Dudes promo code with the TRKT, we go back and listen to the Gun Dudes show, you'll know uh, what promo code it is. I know what it is right now, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to go listen to their show and download it. You can get 20% off at TRKT right now. It's pretty cool. And uh, so I bought an eating tool and just to support those guys. Did you get to utilize your eating tool in the field at all? or? Well, I got it after I got back. Well, see, that, I'm glad you asked that because you, you brought a few more things to my mind that I just remember now. Um. I got back and I found a book from Alex Haddix on practical home defense, on home safety, you know, just defending your home. I haven't started reading it yet because I'm in the middle of uh, a combat shooting with Masad Ayu. Once I finish that one, I'm going to go into Alex's book, which is an awesome book so far. I'm about halfway through. Completely recommend it. A lot of the things in there you're going to hear again if you go to the Mag 40 class, very worth every penny that you spend on the Audible down- or the uh, Kindle download, which I did. So uh, check that one out. Another another what I did in guns slash advertisement. Man, I'm like going all commercial, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I got home and I had this eating tool. And my wife's like, yeah, my friend drove us to the post office and got it. And I told her, I said, here, open this package while she was in the store. And then uh, my wife comes out and her friend's laughing. She's like, only your husband. And uh, she's holding an eating tool in her hand from CRKT. And there's nothing else in the package but an eating tool. So they were making fun of me while I was gone. But then I found on my little workbench when I got home a big bag of dryer lint. My wife had cleaned up the dryer lint that she does like, you know, once a week or whatever. But she'd been putting it in a bag and saving it for me. Because while I was gone, there was a couple of earthquakes and it scared her. And just afterwards, she was like, hey, do you have the bug out bags ready for me and Gunner? I was like, well, there's two bags. And we usually work a two bag system. But I didn't mm-hmm. consolidate them. Just thinking for, for her and Gunner. I didn't consolidate them into one for her to carry, which I should have. So she was yelling at me for not consolidating the bug out bags uh, into one for while I was gone. And 
then she was thinking, you know, let's have a little bit more fire starting material. So she knows I, I use dryer lint in my uh, escape and evasion kit that I keep in my gear and dryer lint in our bug out bag because it weighs next to nothing. You take the air out of it and it's you know super light and excellent fire starting material. And uh, so she was saving my fire starting material from the dryer, which was, I was quite proud of my wife for that, you know, thinking that way. It's great. Very nice. Good mindset. Yep. And uh, that's pretty much it, I guess, for what I did in guns. Nothing real exciting, but that's it. Now, you um, you said you're reading uh, Massad's book off of Kindle. Is that right? Yes. How, I, I, I recently just got one, too, and I saw the uh, reviews for it. And some of the reviews said that something was, or some of the, uh, looked like some of the words were messed up or something. Did you see that, or was that like an earlier edition or something? I haven't had any issue with it at all so far. I haven't ran into it. I'm also not reading on a Kindle. My wife has a Kindle. I've been reading it on my iPhone and iPad. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, and I haven't seen any problems at all with it thus far. Anyway, and I'm let's see. I think I'm on just finished chapter two. I think it was. Hmm. That's yeah. good to know because I mean I'm sure some of those reviews probably scared some people off. So good to hear that it's readable. Yeah, you know, it could have been something in an early release because I know a lot of Mass's books weren't on Kindle for a while, and he was always, you know, saying just contact the publisher if you want it because he he can't touch it. it has like really nothing, no, nothing to do with it at all because everybody was always asking for him on Kindle. Uh, maybe one of the earlier releases wasn't quite right, and then maybe they straightened it out by now. Hopefully, that's the case. Good deal. But yeah, so what have you done, John? Let's uh, let's hear it. You carry a gun every day. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the major thing since. Uh since we talked last, uh, taught a couple of classes um, over at SIG. Done, yeah, one weekend of two, an intermediate and advanced pistol class. It was one weekend um, on the work side. The um, One of the things I'm involved in is a regional team. I'm on the snipers, and we've been evaluating some new night vision to uh, put on our Remington 700s. Sounds so, like your canine is doing some work right now. Yeah, you can hear that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh oh, just making the, a joke. Uh, well, that's the uh, downside of the new microphone, I guess. Have to keep working it. Um, no, it's more content. It's good. <laughs> As realism, nothing wrong with that. And let's see. Other than um, you know, as far as practical application stuff, we're where I live. We get a lot of uh, get a lot of political people coming in, and we sometimes do some some counter sniper for them so got to do i got to go stand on a roof for a few hours for for somebody famous and uh other than that just uh you know the usual stuff trying to keep up with uh getting some content on the uh feed here so hopefully we've uh, got some good stuff for our listeners today yeah you know while i was gone you reminded me of something about getting new content i've really been doing a lot of reading and uh I got some magazines uh, in the mail and um, from uh, an awesome listener who always hooks me up with magazines. He, he gets SWAT magazines and he sends them to me because I can't get SWAT magazines up here. And it's, it's one of the few magazines that I really like. Awesome to get those. And I was reading and, I'm, you know, what I, I keep reading about courses. They've always got these, these, you know, carving courses, pistol course, CQB course, something else in there all the time. Man, I got to get back and take more courses when I get back to the States. That's one of my, that's, I plan on taking a lot of courses. You know, every time I take leave, I'm going to go take a course. I think that's going to add us so much content in Gunfightercast. I would say, uh, you know, get up there to SIG, hang out with you. That's one of the things I want to do. And it'll give us, because a lot of these listeners out here are, you know, asking about 
uh, different courses to take. You know, I, I've taken the Masada Abu course, thought it was great, Mag 40. Uh, I've watched the Magpul Dynamic videos. Of course, you're not going to get those two instructors together anymore in Magpul Dynamics, but I think they have some pretty decent curriculum, depending on what you want to take. Haley Strategics looking pretty good, but you know, how can I give uh, an, a, a complete review on something unless I go out there and bust caps with them and learn from them? You know, then I can come back and talk about it, and that's that's one of my goals. That's where I want things to go sometime in the the year after I get back to the states. And uh, maybe if we're lucky, maybe we can go take some classes together. Maybe we can get the hookup or something. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Not, uh, it's not anything that we want to do, really, but it's something we'd be willing to do for the listeners kind of thing. I, right? I, would, I would hate to go take a, or a shooting class. I would just hate it. But for the sake of the listeners, I would do it. <laughs> Show must go on. Yeah. I, I, I'll take that one for the team. I'll do it. I hate every second of it. But, yeah, that's that's – I'm excited about that. You know, hoping that works out. So that's what you did in guns. That's, that's cool. That's pretty much the last three or four weeks. So, in a nutshell, sounds good. I won't get into everything that we did up there in Hokkaido, except that it was cold and miserable, and it's over, and uh, I'm done. Uh, but I did drink beer straight from the Sapporo Beer Factory in Sapporo, uh, which was uh, pretty decent. Can't complain. Not a huge fan of Japanese beer, but uh, wasn't bad. I was going to ask you, I assume, though, since you're at the factory, you didn't need your eating tool to open your beer, right? Uh, no, it was on tap. And, again, I didn't get the eating tool until I got back. However, that eating tool has came in quite handy since I've been back uh, with as it encounters certain bottles that are not twist top. It has been quite efficient in the opening of uh, pop top bottles, I guess you could say. Excellent. Everybody should have one. Yep, even on St. Patty's Day, it uh, popped the top one in Guinness. So uh, how do McGregor's uh, celebrate St. Patty's Day? Hmm, uh, well, uh, this McGregor actually ended up, we ended up having a call out, so I ended up having to uh, go into work for a little bit, but turned out to be nothing. The uh, situation resolved itself with, uh, basically with us standing in the parking lot waiting to go, so uh, it was a easy ride that day. Other than that, just... Um, you know, basically uh, went out, uh, nothing, you know, nothing too exciting, nothing that involved popping Guinnesses, actually. Uh, we got a couple teenage girls, so they were out and about, and we just uh, enjoyed some alone time. Sounds good. Yeah, our Irish wasn't even out and about. We just hung out at the house because it was right when I got home. But uh, anyway, they're tired of hearing us talk about all this silly stuff. Let's talk about gunfighting and guns. John, what we got planned today? Well, I thought... Um, you know, we've been getting some uh, emails about getting into the serious topics. Nobody wants to have fun anymore, I guess. So uh, I thought something interesting to talk about that I haven't heard on any other shows, or at least not recently, is the OODA loop principle. Okay. And, uh, you know, basically, um, it sounds like, you know, we've talked a little bit before the show or, you know, sent some uh, text back and forth, but it sounds like we may teach it uh, – differently kind of different perspectives so and that's you know, exactly why you got hired on the gunfighter casts because you have a different perspective than i do so i think this is this is going to be the one of the first shows where it really works out to where we get that your perspective and my perspective and i think they're going to be slightly different but still kind of the same i guess you could say yeah i think it's going to end up in the same place but uh you know maybe the you know the people i teach it to or uh kind of have a different purpose maybe than the ones you do so exactly oh. yep so uh you know basically if you're not familiar 
And like I said, I pronounce it Uda. I don't know if you've I've heard some people pronounce it the Oda loop or whatever, but it's basically no, I've always said Uda as well. It's basically O O D A, and um, you know if you want to find out kind of the history about it, you just do a web search. But basically, what it was is uh, U.S. Air Force Colonel John Boyd. Um, you know he was tasked with, and this is kind of going to be the thumbnail version, but uh, trying to find ways to improve the. You know the the kill ratio of of fighter pilots. You know we had a certain I don't have the numbers, but we had a, a certain uh, kill ratio in World War II, and then as uh, you know as the years went on, our ratio got kind of worse and worse to where we we're losing more and more planes for every enemy plane. And so he uh, basically did some some study uh, trying to find out you know why you know why that is and what can we do to uh, change it. So, you know, what he came up with, and again, if you actually look up the his actual OODA loop, it's kind of complicated. I always kind of break it down to basically just, uh, you know, four steps. The observe is the first step, orient's the second, decide being the third, and then act being the last one. And, you know, his way it worked for, you know, the, the fighter pilots is that, you know, basically to shoot down the enemy fighter pilot, you've got to go through those four steps. You've got to observe the enemy, orient the aircraft to the enemy, you know, decide on your action, and then be able to take action. And what your goal is, is to get through your OODA loop cycle before the enemy gets through his OODA loop cycle. So if, you know, for example, if the enemy pilot sees you first so he observes you first and he orient starts orienting towards you and he's decided what he's going to do your job then is to do something that's going to cause him to have to start his cycle over so you know maybe through you know your training you're you're trained to do some type when you see this situation developing you're trained to do some type of maneuver and now he's orient you know he observes that maneuver and then he's got to orient himself to that maneuver and decide how to deal with that maneuver and then you're constantly trying to make him reset his cycle start his cycle over so that you can get to the end of yours before he gets to the end of his and of course the end being the action you know being able to you know put guns on targets or you know release missiles or whatever you know whatever it was for the fighter pilots so and in training, I know on the law enforcement side, you know, we've stolen this away to, you know, be a way to kind of talk about how we can apply this in a, you know, not a air-to-air battle, but, you know, basically a uh, gunfight. Yep, sounds good. Uh, there's just, uh, we teach, uh, well, not, I wouldn't say we, the people that I was placed with uh, at a very young age many years ago taught this slightly different than uh, Boyd's concept for uh, flying a, an aircraft, trying to you know take down the enemy aircraft. I, I've heard this, you know, the different ways that, that people teach it for law enforcement and uh, for individuals and for our own decision-making process and also how it relates to the enemy. Uh, the way I normally go, uh, the route I usually take is we're thinking about the enemy's OODA loop, uh, not so much our OODA loop. I guess that'll be my little intro to my side. So tell us a little bit about the law enforcement side, though. Well, I think what's, uh, you know, what's pr- we're probably going to find different on the law enforcement side, and I think this is going to uh, be more applicable also on the concealed carry side, 
is the fact that we're 99% of the time we are kind of behind the curve, meaning uh, we don't get to choose to basically assault a bad guy and then, you know, kind of take him by surprise or whatever. We're always reacting to, you know, somebody, somebody else's behavior. So, you know, kind of by definition, the bad guy in our case has already gotten to observe us and, you know, if, if it is an attack or something, he's already had a chance to observe us, orient himself towards us, decide to do something. So we probably aren't going to even be able to kind of start our process until, um, you know, somewhere in the decide and maybe even as late as the action stage where, uh, so we're always kind of behind the curve as it were. And our goal is to, to do something, take some type of uh, immediate action or uh, through tactics, have a way to restart that, uh, that bad guy's OODA loop, slow him down a little bit so that either ourselves or, you know, somebody that we're with is going to be able to get to the end of their loop before they can complete theirs. Now, what that... Uh that's I mean that's not so different than uh, what I teach than uh, I, not not as different as I expected actually uh, you said immediate action take some kind of immediate action now whenever I use the term immediate action or hear that from uh, the military standpoint immediate action is basically a synonym for standard response so if I have assaultive indicator or you know I know this guy he's got furtive movement. Uh, there is a standard response already in my mind for that. Maybe he observed and he's orienting his weapon right now. Uh, I, I can skip the, the middle O and the D. I can skip that. By my observations, I can go straight to action because I've trained for my standard response. So I'm basically outrunning his UDA because I'm basically having an UA. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And that's how, how we teach the immediate action. Uh, and, and when we're doing, uh, say, platoon level, squad lead level, or fire team level, uh, fire team would be four, squad would be twelve man. Platoon is normally around forty-two. If we're doing that kind of tactics, and say we make contact with the enemy, from our perspective, is uh, the enemy has already observed us. They've initiated contact with us. They they're they're already oriented toward us. Uh, but I think I don't we don't like he says observe, orient, decide, and act. The way I was initially taught this was. Uh, it's think of it as a loop of observation, orientation, decision making, and action. Uh, not so much of orienting your, you know, device of of or your weapon or whatever, but your orientation to the enemy, this terrain, uh, the features in your area, um, egress, egress, all that kind of stuff. Um, so what I need to do is I need to somehow, if I can somehow interrupt anything in his cycle, and he has a constant cycle. Okay, he's observing and he's oriented and he's deciding he's act. Okay, he initiated the ambush. He shot at my squad. Bang, bang, bang. Him and his squad or whatever. They shoot at my squad. Uh, they've already done that. They've already completed one OODA loop just then. So they've already, you know, busted caps, hit me. Immediately, we see that someone's shooting at us. Someone yells contact right. Everyone's online. Uh, we know it's a near ambush. They're within 50 meters. We're going to conduct. We're just going to. Intense violence, boldness, violence of action, and assault straight through, uh, gaining fire superiority on the way, and just putting everything we have on them and assaulting straight past them until they just run away and we get them on the degress uh, or egress or uh, they, they die in place. So 
they've already completed an OODA loop, but they've immediately begun another one as we've started ours. We've done our immediate action. We've already stopped. We've already skipped the O and the D in the middle. We observed fire coming at us where it's at, and we immediately go straight to action. Our action completes our orientation, and we've decided years in advance what we're going to do for this. So we've basically negated those two in the middle, and we went straight to action. Now, our actions, they weren't expecting us. They were expecting us to take cover, hide, get pinned down. They didn't expect us to lay down an incredible amount of fire and start moving toward them and running after them. And uh, so now uh, they're observing that, and now well, what am I going to do? Now they got to decide again. They have a, a brand new uh, OODA loop beginning. What we can do is throw out smoke. You know, that kills their observation a little bit. Maybe it doesn't work so good. Maybe you're in the desert and 30 seconds into any firefight, you can't see what's going on anyway. Uh, maybe we can send us an enveloping force around to the side uh, and flank them, and that will mess up their orientation because they can't be oriented on both at the same time. Uh, if we can mess up their decision-making, make them do something that they don't want to do. We call that gaining the initiative. When we have the initiative, we're going to force the enemy to do something that he does not want to do. Uh, it may not be his you know, most likely course of action because he didn't plan for that, and now he's doing something he, don't, he doesn't like. He's still making an action. He's still completing the OODA loop, but he's not completing it uh, the way he would like to. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, like I said, uh, we kind of have slightly different, uh, you know, different ways we teach this. What you're saying about going right from O to A, you know, basically going right from observe to action. I mean, I kind of see it a little differently. I, I kind of see it as, you know, through your, through your training, I wouldn't say that you skip O and A, but through your training, you're able to complete those steps in a, a much smaller time frame than the enemy. And again, we can agree to, to disagree, but, you know, at your first contact, at some point you had to decide to carry out your action. I think it's, you know, just the fact that, you know, through your training, you don't have to stop it. You don't, you don't get vapor locked at the decide, you know, what do I do? What do I do? You're already, you know, switched on that something happens. You go right to it. And now, like you were saying, you're getting right to the action part of your loop before they can really even see what you're doing and decide how to counteract it. You've already gotten through your whole loop and onto action, and you know now they're behind the curve. Now they're reacting to you. But you know some of it might just be you know kind of terminology and and so forth. You know I think that's what it is, and I think you're right too about the decide because even the way I explained it, I explained immediate action to a near ambush, which is within 50 meters. We just you know turn to them, high volumes of fire, assault through. Uh, if it's further away, we may use different tactics. So then we do, we're at our observe and we're at our orient stage. Uh, our decision-making is a little bit more complicated at that point because we have them at distance and we don't want to just, you know, basically buddy rush with two people rushing or fire team rush or anything like that, uh, which I'm not a fan of fire team rush because you kind of lose a lot of your volumes of fire, which is a different story altogether. Uh, maybe some of the uh, military guys will understand that um, without going into detail. But there are decisions made, and that far ambush is quite differently. You know, we're going to choose which side is going to move, which side are we going to maneuver, which side is going to become our support by fire. So there is decision in there. Uh, there definitely mm -hmm. is. And we're, we're going to make that after our first action. Uh, we, we take our standard response, and we, we act on that. But we've immediately began another OODA loop, uh, and now we're deciding which one we're going to use. 
and then we'll take that action. You know, which side's going to envelop? Which side's going to hammerhead? Which side's going to support my fire? And then they're, I think encompassing it, I think if you look at OODA loop very broadly, like if you think of it as whenever the bad guy completes his OODA loop, it means you're dead. I don't think that's really the case from my perspective. I think uh, there's going to be a lot of OODA loops, a lot, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of OODA going on, and that's your loop that never ends until uh, you know blood leaves the body and the heart stops beating and the brain stops working. Then the OODA loop has been properly interrupted. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that too, uh, especially um, on my side of things, where you know most of the time we're dealing with uh, handguns. You know, both again the law enforcement and the uh, you know a um, a citizen, you know, self defense type situation. We're dealing with a lot of handguns here, so yeah, that's. I mean, handguns aren't man stoppers. So I guess one way to think about it is if you kind of know you've if you kind of know you're, you've been attacked, you're probably in good shape. You know, if you don't know it, then, you know, probably, uh, you've already been switched off at that point. But yeah, it's a good point not to just think that if they get to the end of the cycle, they're, um, that, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Certainly don't want to teach that. Yeah. And, uh, what do you think? What do you think? What do you got for a scenario, John? Can you think of anything that you guys teach or uh, using this, well, and we can kind of you know break it down. Well, like on the uh, say the on the law enforcement side or whatever, and you're a police officer, and you go to stop a vehicle, and you go make your approach, and you come up to the driver's side window, and you know let's say it's nighttime, you know you shine the shine the back seat, you don't see anything there, and you come up make contact with the driver, and as the say as the window goes down, you see him coming up with a pistol or something. Now, pretty much from the the bad guy's perspective, he's had a chance to observe and orient. He's already decided to take action. He's somewhere between decide and act. Kind of one of our immediate action or what would you call it, a standard response? Yes. Basically, our standard response would uh, be something, you know, some things that we might do to try and upset their OODA loop might be to, you know, take that flashlight and whip it through the window as we're taking some steps back. Uh, that's going to cause him to, you know, he's going to observe that flashlight coming at his skull. Disorientation. uh, Yep. And that's going to hopefully cause, you know, that cycle to, um, you know, before he gets to act, you know, he sees the stimulus coming at him and now he's going to kind of start over. Hopefully that's going to give us enough time to uh, get out of the area and uh, return fire from some place where, you know, now we're not standing right in front of the window. Now we're, you know, maybe behind or over on the right side or something, someplace where he didn't expect it to come from. And, you know, kind of like you were talking before, you know, this is something that we train so that we don't have to spend, you know, once we see that gun coming up, you know, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time, you know, going through, oh, what should we do? You know, what's our, uh, I see this, you know, do I want to run here? Do I want to run here? It's basically something that we can do quick. So that, you know, we can go quickly from observe all the way to action, taking some action. Now, it might not be our final action, but it's going to be something that's going to cause them to have to reset their loop. And, you know, hopefully through our training and the fact that it is a standard response for us, we're going to be able to complete it, get all the way a cycle completed before they get their cycle completed. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a couple of good points in there, too. That ob- observe doesn't have to be the very – you see on Boyd's loop – Everything can constantly comes back to observe. The observation never it never ends. It's it's constant, uh, mm-hmm. even up into the action phase. You're still observing, you know, the effects of your action. Uh, 
uh, and then you're you're using that data constantly. Say you're moving up to a vehicle or kind of a scenario that we gave you know a few shows ago about in a parking garage, car parking garage with a uh, concealed carry holder. Uh, anywhere you're at, if you uh, if you're walking around in the yellow, like you should be anyway, uh, in Cooper's color code. Uh, you're walking around the yellow. I don't think I'm PTSD or crazy because I'm always looking for exits. I'm always looking for cover to use. If I see someone walking up to me, uh, I will not stand in the middle of that in a parking lot. I will not stand at the middle of the trunk of the car next to me. I will stop going uh, past that car to where I could dip behind that car and get in the wheel well real quick. You know, it, it's just if you're walking up to that car as a police officer to the door. Uh, and you're in a, you know, maybe not a rural environment, but you have a, you know, maybe, I don't know, a post office box, uh, anything, whatever, a ditch. You should recognize those things as you're walking up. And maybe taking the ditch side is the better way to go and go to the passenger side door uh, if, you know, you're kind of something suspicious about this vehicle. Because a ditch offers great cover. You know, maybe take that post office box size door. Uh, are those things that you think about and teach as a police officer? Yeah, I mean, you definitely, I think you, you know, you hit it on the head when you said, you know, the ditch may be better cover. I mean, the other thing too is, you know, we're on, we're on roadways. So if we go the other direction, you know, we're likely, maybe we won't get shot. We get run over instead. So uh, we've kind of, you know, mapped it all out and kind of thought about where our, our standard response is and, um, you know, kind of what oh, you you're like saying. that new phrase, huh? Yeah, I'm going to, well, you're, you know, you are um, correct because, I mean, immediate action does, uh, you know, we, we talk about that in some other firearms training things as well for, you know, specifically how to do deal with malfunctions. But, um, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think I, this, I, like, I, I'm with you, man. I teach those as being like synonymous to one another. You know, whether you're talking about engagement techniques or when to fire, when not to fire or clearing stoppages, you know, it's still problem solving. Whether you're talking about fixing a stoppage or uh, keeping a bad guy from hurting you. Exactly. And before I, uh, before I, we go on to something else, I did want to kind of, you know, what you were saying about, you know, you're in the parking garage and stuff and condition yellow. I mean, one of those things that kind of allows you to do is you're kind of already starting, you're already starting your loop rather than waiting for something bad to happen and then trying to deal with it. Cause you know, think about it, you know, you were saying, you know, you see the guy in the, in the parking garage or whatever before anything bad happens you've already observed him and kind of oriented yourself towards him and if you've got any kind of combat mindset you're thinking you know you're assessing him see if if he or she's a threat and maybe even uh you should be kind of running through some scenarios in your head like absolutely you know if this happens this is what i'm going to do and that means you've already began the decision making process as well when you're running through scenarios yeah you've already basically cut down on the time it's going to take for you to make that decision so it's going to be uh, a lot faster for you to get to that action as opposed to you know you're just walking through the parking garage texting on your phone and then all of a sudden there's a guy with a gun you know you're gonna have to play a whole lot of catch-up at that point a whole lot more than you would have had to if uh, you know you had that combat mindset in the first place and i don't care who you are when someone starts shooting at you the first thing you want to do is get behind something that makes bullets not be able to hit you. So uh, it's real easy to, to think that, you know, standing on a static range, shooting at a static target, that, oh, when I see a gun, I'm just going to draw it and shoot. You know, the dash cam video shows that people move. They move to cover instinctively. They throw their hands up for cover instinctively. So being in condition yellow alone, 
uh, identifying cover. Okay, this guy looks suspicious. He's walking straight to me, looks angry. He's giving me that target stare. You know, and you know, maybe uh, this looks like a good place to stop right here, so I could jump behind this engine compartment of a vehicle or, or whatnot. And that those are things that you think about in condition yellow, in condition white, like you said, walking through the parking garage, texting. You're not going to catch all those things. You're not going to catch that uh, that 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 stare, that that uh, target stare, that that target glance. You're not going to catch all those things. You're just going to be walking, texting, and you know, talking to whoever you're talking to. And next thing you know, you're a victim. Uh, being in condition yellow is where it all begins, and uh, I think the uh, observation is condition yellow. We were, I think, the way uh, I'm trying to go with this right now is kind of tying the UDA in with uh, Cooper's color code, and I think uh, the observation should all should be constant with us always in condition yellow. Uh, the orient is when a possible threat has presented itself, and maybe at that point we're going to red. We're not quite engaged. We haven't drawn our pistol, but we're at the point where. Am I going to draw this pistol and fire right now? You're at the you're at the cusp of that decision, and that is your next pace is uh, uh to decide to fire. And once you decide, then you're you know you're at the action. Yeah, I can I can see that the um but I mean unfortunately you know the the OODA loop is going to apply uh, whether you're in whether you start in condition yellow or not. Uh, you know if you're right. If you're, I'm saying I, that I, the way we want this to have happen. As yes, men who carry guns. Uh, this is mm. the way we would like for the UDA to begin. In order you don't to, wanna, you don't want to start from white. Uh, you would like to have your observation already have taken place before the threat has even presented itself. Yeah, in order to complete your cycle as uh, quickly and as efficiently as possible, these are kind of the mindsets. Because you know, unfortunately, you know, if you're the the person texting, you know. You're still going to have to go. You're still going to have to observe, and because you weren't paying attention, it's going to take you longer. Uh, probably orient's going to take you longer as well, and then decide you're not going to know what to do. So that's going to take you longer. So you may never, may never get to the action. You may never even decide on an action. Unfortunately, if you're not, if you're not being prepared. Yeah, if you're lucky at that point, someone takes your wallet and your phone. That's if you're lucky. Now, Daniel, one of the things I wanted to. Uh, touch upon is is kind of what you said i mean we've seen um you know like you were saying you've seen in the videos where when somebody starts shooting first thing people do is move i've seen a lot of times though on the on the range and stuff and you know maybe it's you know it's different when you start feeling rounds buzzing by your hitting but uh unfortunately kind of a lot of the training that uh you know if we're not careful we end up just kind of standing and, and shooting when the first thing we should be doing is moving and a lot of that's, you know, because of, you know, some, some of the ranges that people are, you know, have to do their shooting at don't allow you to do anything. Some of them you're, you're sitting in a little booth or something. But uh, I think that's, you know, one consideration when you're, when you're doing your training is realize that, that that's what you want to be a moving target. You want to be getting to cover. When somebody's got a gun pointed at you, you don't want to just stand there planted and, you know, try and draw your own. I mean, you're not going to outdraw a drawn gun. Uh, you've got to do something to kind of survive that first contact, something absolutely uh, th through movement. And, you know, that's something that uh, and once we get the basics down, that's something we start teaching as far as responding to some type of stimulus, uh, some type of threat. You know, the first thing that we do is move. You know, we, we try and draw as we move, but our priority is to make ourselves a moving target just to give them something else to observe and try and orient to rather than 
work on getting the pistol out and then incorporating movement. Our goal is just to get off the axes. You know, I've heard that statement here and there, but just basically first thing is instantly trying to go off in some direction and create, you know, make yourself a moving target. And if you can get to cover, if you've got cover, then, you know, that's, that's a bonus. Yeah. And, you know, I'm with you. And I've heard the get off the X thing before, and it's I think it's one of those things somebody came up to sound cool, but uh, it still makes sense, and it's easy to remember, and mm-hmm. I like it. Here's my entire philosophy on this, and you can call it Daniel Shaw's philosophy to training gunfight if you want. Chances are your bad guy is not a gunfighter, is not someone who trains every day to fight. Now, there are people in prisons who fight to take away guns from you as a law enforcement officer. They train all the time to fight. There's gangs that do that. Uh, a lot of the people out there that we run into uh, that are robbing someone or armed robbery have not trained their whole life to use that handgun. Uh, the likelihood of them training is shooting at moving targets, having facilities to do so, having uh, you know whatever to, to shoot, to practice shooting at moving targets. They are not going to be efficient at shooting at moving targets. Uh, the chances of them being understanding leads and, and, and that kind of thing it's probably pretty slim. Would you agree? Yeah, they're not. Um, unfortunately, uh, as you know, the bad guys kind of have the advantage, and you know they're not going to, uh, unless they're forced to, uh, they're not going to try and take it at twenty-five yards or something where you're going to be a difficult moving target to deal with. Uh, it's pretty much they're just going to be right up on top of you and, and not try not to give you that chance. I mean. So they so basically by that statement we understand that their level of marksmanship toward a moving target is very low because they haven't trained for that. Uh, they want to shoot if they have to shoot at a very close distance where their marksmanship uh, skills can be horrible and still put effective shots on target. So based on those two things right then, there that tells us that one we want to move definitely because they suck at shooting moving targets, and we also want to create distance. And if we can create distance before the action phase, every either one of us, that's even better because we definitely want to have distance to begin with. One, distance maybe may make a knife ineffective, and maybe that's all the guy has. The distance may make his marksmanship ineffective. Uh, the distance plus your movement may make him where he can't hit anything. So that means if you're on a range and you have a facility near you that you have to drive 20 minutes to and you can stand in a cubicle and shoot at a target that you can pull in and look at every once in a while or you can drive an extra hour to go to a range and shoot the same amount of rounds um, but you can shoot those moving, I would say drive an hour. Practice moving, uh, creating distance while you're moving. Do that because uh, then you're effectively you're interrupting an OODA loop in that way you know, you're his. You're do, making them do something he doesn't want to do. He wanted to fight you close range, and now you're. He wanted to fight you standing still close range. Now you're moving, and creating distance. And you have trained to shoot on the move. He has not trained to shoot on the move or at a moving target. You then have an advantage. Yeah, I would agree with you. Some of the some of the research that I've seen is uh, as far as you know them being good shooters, bad shooters. Um, I think you know what I've seen. More accurately, not good or bad, but what they are is, uh, you know, what you'd call, it's not really instinctual because it's really not an instinct to, to run a pistol, but they're not going to be, you know, lining up sights and so forth. It's all just uh, kind of hand-eye coordination, put the gun out and start throwing rounds, you know, at the good guys. So 
because of that, you know, the, obviously their chances of success increase greatly if they can be close up doing that. So anytime you can kind of create distance, you're, you're kind of taking them out of a area where they're most, uh, I don't know if efficient's the right word, but based on, you know, the techniques they're using, they're, they're more efficient up close and, you know, using surprise and so forth, as opposed to something that's going to require a high level of accuracy to accomplish. Exactly. But yeah, well, I hope that made sense. Practice shooting on the move while creating distance. Uh, be good at it because the bad guy will most likely not be good at shooting at you while you're moving and creating distance. And before we go uh, any further, something else to throw in the training too, that um, even when we start practicing, what I've seen is, you know, we're, we're practicing now that when we got some kind of response, uh, some, uh, excuse me, some type of stimulus is that we're, we start moving as we're drawing and so forth, and that stuff works good. But then, you know, what I've seen is uh, as soon as there's like a malfunction or some type of reload, it seems like we have a tendency to, to stop and try and take care of it and we're no longer moving. Something else you want to make sure that you're adding your movement to is your malfunction drills, uh, any of your reloads, uh, making sure that, you know, when any of those things happen that you don't stop with the movement, you should be able to continue with the movement and, and fix the issue. I think when we gave our scenario, or we did the dry firing going to have fun, we gave a few drills. And I think we covered that one pretty good. Uh, I don't remember if it was me or you, but one of us said something about, um, you know, if, you might, if you're not shooting, you might as well be moving. You know, if you can't shoot mm -hmm. because you're clearing a stoppage or because you're reloading, even if you stood in place, you drawed and you fired eight shots out of your seven shots out of your 1911, and it's time to reload, there's no point in standing right there while you're reloading. If you just, for some reason, cannot shoot and move at the same time because you can't chew bubblegum and walk, at least move while you're reloading. And then, you know, stop again if you got to shoot. But it's better if you just keep moving the entire time and move to cover. And, and then, you know, observe other cover near you in case your cover gets lost right there where you're at. You know, find your next place you're going to go to uh, while you're doing that reload, while you're fighting. It's just, that's, your, that's part of your observation. You're constantly evaluating your terrain. You're constantly looking for cover to move to. Because I, I tell people all the time, they're in these awesome kneeling positions, or they're shooting IDPA, and they're completely—they're they're within the rules, but they're completely exposed to their targets, uh, or there's cover right next to them on the range. You see it all the time, I'm sure, out there. If you guys do uh, cover stuff, you have like a, a vertical cover or a horizontal cover out there, and they won't be completely behind the cover, but they'll have their entire body exposed, uh, or just maybe a little bit of their body behind the cover. I am here to tell you, as someone who has been shot at uh, numerous times, you will find a way to get your body behind the smallest amount of cover. You will. And when it's time to shoot back, you come out in a shooting position, ready to fire. Not, okay, there's a target. Okay, now let's present my weapon to fire. You come out ready to fire, weapon in front of your eyes, and you come out in a shooting position. It's going to be an awkward shooting position. It's not going to be the way you trained. Uh, it's going to be an unorthodox shooting position that somehow keeps you behind cover the best you can and only exposes the minimum amount of body necessary to effectively put shots on the target. And that's what you're going to want. To, that's what your mind is going to make you do in that fight. You know, you're not going to be John Wayne on wheels and just walk through everybody with two guns in the hand shooting everybody. You know, you're going to find cover. You're going to get behind it, and you're going to expose the only amount necessary. At least that's what you should be doing. Excellent. So what do you think? Any? I guess, was that our final thoughts on the OODA loop principle? Or? I think so. I think that came out pretty good, John. Yep. Some good info and not uh, anything to do with uh, sporting 
purposes yeah. either. <laughs> well, I, d- I did bring up, I did say stuff bad about IDPA shooters and stuff, didn't I? So is that okay? Yeah. Is that acceptable? That'll that'll go over good. Okay, good. All right, hate those IDPA shooters. Darn them. Okay, well, uh, how about we take a break? We haven't done a commercial in like four shows. So let's take a break and uh, hear something from the Gun Rights Radio Network or an affiliate. Actually, I think I'll run the ad from uh, Alex Haddix for his book. That's what we'll do. And then we'll come back and we'll answer a couple of uh, listener email. This is Alex Haddix from the Practical Defense Podcast. I invite you to check out my new book called Practical Home Security, A Guide to Safer Urban Living. It's available now in Dead Tree Paperback. Kindle, Nook, and iTunes editions. Details and link are available from alexhaddix.com slash book. Remember, nothing says I love you like a book on practical home security next to a box of jacketed hollow points. All right, welcome back. We're going to go into a segment of listener emails and so forth. Uh, remember, if you want uh, us to address your email, either daniel at gunfightercast.com or john at gunfightercast.com. We share the emails we get, so you can send it to one or both of us. Be happy to read it and answer your questions. Uh, First one I'm going to talk about uh, was sent to me by a student of mine, um, call him Doc. And uh, basically Doc had a couple questions uh, looking for some advice on gear. Uh, He's, uh, let's see, cut to the chase here. Uh, He's looking to get a range bag and was wondering... What you thought of what's out there, either by 5.11 or others, uh, we can address that first. Uh, then the other part of the question, he's asking about uh, hearing protection. Uh, he likes the kind of the soft hearing protection uh, because he's found a lot of earmuffs uncomfortable or too hot, um, but was willing to uh, revisit the issue and maybe get something with electronics in it. So that was the question. Uh, the advice I gave him, because uh, I already answered directly to him, um, but I haven't run a, a 5.11 range bag uh, in itself. Uh, I am familiar with their gear, though, uh, of uh, the clothing and some of the uh, the pouches and, and web gear, and it does appear to be good stuff. Um, another company that I had uh, passed on to him was... Uh, Max Pedition, I like their stuff too, and they've got a range bag, but uh, it was uh, it wasn't cheap. I want to say that one was 150 or something. The 511 one I saw was like a 120, and the bag I use is, is cheaper than that. I just get kind of a no name, eighty dollar one, and, and so far that's worked for me. But uh, in talking to you, Daniel, you've uh, at least seen the 511 range bag, correct? Yeah, I have. But let me start off with something else. My range bag that I use is a uh, – actually, Carl just ordered one after he saw mine last year when I was in uh, with them in Utah in September. Um, it's a, from LAPoliceGear.com. It's $29, and it's uh, the LA Police Gear uh, bag. And I could throw a link to it in the show notes, but it's a backpack, and it's got two pouches on the outside, a zipper pouch on the inside, and it has no – like hardly any padding or anything, and that's why I like it. It's just uh, the perfect little – very, very thick material and uh, very water resistant. I completely swear by it. I put it's my range bag. It's my everyday bag. I carry it everywhere I go, unless I'm, you know, in Savannah tire or whatever. Uh, then I sometimes may even have it in my car. But that's my. If I'm going to the range, I'll drop my ammo and everything else in there, and I can keep it on my back. Uh, I don't like carrying things in my hands. I like to be hands free uh, as much as possible. 
So uh, I use that on my back, and you cannot beat the price on that thing for like uh, $27 or $29. I can't remember. I'll throw a link to it in the show notes. But uh, if he's specifically looking for that 511 gear uh, range bag, I had a friend that's had that has that, and we used to go to the range and shoot all the time. And I thought seriously about pistol whipping him a few times and stealing that bag from him because uh, it was a really nice bag. It had all like the, the, every compartment that you would want this thing to have, it has it. It's a very well thought out bag. Uh, it came with a little uh, ammo pouch holder where you could dump your boxes of ammo in a little ammo pouch that had an elastic top. Uh, but it also had rigidity to it, so it would stay open, so you could just stick your hands in and pull out more ammo. Uh, I was, I've had it in my shopping cart at LA Police Gear quite a few times uh, that I wanted to buy. I keep saying LA Police Gear. Those guys should give us some money, huh? But uh, that's one of the places I shop all the time. I wish they'd give us some money and give us some free stuff. But uh, I would say if you're in uh, you know, a dock <laughs> and you're making that kind of money and you're ready to spend the, the, the cash for something, Go ahead and drop the 120 or 150 or whatever it is for that uh, 511 police gear bag. I think you'll be incredibly happy with it. Uh, if you're you know, on a budget, uh, there's some other options you can go to. Um, I've got a Craftsman, Craftsman drill bag that is very, very strong, has very strong handles. I think it would work very well for a range bag. It has some cool little compartments in it, too. Uh, some people use a bucket. Uh, and you can also get buckets with the things on the outside that you fold over. If you use a bucket, you've also got a place to sit. You know, those are just some options for on a budget or if you want to spend the money. I would say, uh, you know, you depending on what you want to do, you probably wouldn't go wrong with any of those choices. It's probably a little bit, too, about how cool you want to look. Because i got to think the doc's going to look a lot cooler with his 5.11 range bag than he will with a, a bucket. You know what, Doc? Why don't you go ahead and buy you that 5.11 range bag? Actually, don't do that. Buy me and John. A 511 range bag. Let us try it out for a little bit. You use a bucket in the meantime, and we'll let you know how good that range bag is. And then you can make your decision based off of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're always willing to help. Yep, it's it's, it's tough, you know, but we'll, we'll do it. We'll we'll do that for you. All right. And uh, he asked about your protection. Yeah. What are your uh, what's your experience? Okay, I hate wearing hearing protection because everybody everywhere I go play is always real hot. Uh, but the problem is there are these little bones, and being a doctor, I'm sure you know about them, uh, in the back in your, your ear. And uh, just having plugs in your ear, like foamies or whatever you use, the Surefire hearing protection, which I like, the Surefire, uh, they're not so great by themselves because you have those bones that vibrate and everything in the back of your ears. Having a muff encompasses the entire ear and protects the noise that comes in, uh, maybe not straight through your ear canal, but all around your ear. So muffs offer a heck of a lot more protection for your hearing than anything else. And I'm a guy who's got uh, a, quite a bit of hearing loss, uh, not just from small arms, but from mostly from the, the shoulder-fired multipurpose assault weapon, uh, the small missile, or sorry, not missile, uh, rocket launcher. And I, I've lost a lot of hearing from that. And over the years, and uh, my life, I always get yelled at the audiologist every year when I go to the audiologist uh, about wearing my double hearing protection. And I always tell them, like, I always wear double hearing protection. And then they yell at me for saying that I don't. And I'm like, I do, you know, but and we go back and forth. But I, if you're outside, uh, I will wear a lot of times just my, uh, uh, what I'm using right now, I used to use Peltor, but now I'm using the uh, Impact Sports 
Uh, for 50 bucks, you can get the uh, Impact Sports electronic hearing protection, and they fit a lot better. They're really lightweight. I can wear them with my helmet as well, uh, and they fit good. And there's a couple of companies out there that uh, offer like little uh, covers for the, the headpiece that goes over your head. But uh, I, I really like the, uh, uh, the Impact Sports uh, electronic hearing protection right now. I don't like the fact that you know it makes your ears sweat. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. Uh, I don't like that sometimes uh, if you're shooting a rifle, you may want to use double hearing protection at least in your rifle side ear. <laughs> Me as a right-handed shooter, I will put at least a foamy or something in my right ear because a lot of times my stock weld, uh, just the way I'm, I'm getting on that stock on my rifle and pushing that weapon up, uh, I will lose, I will break the seal of my hearing protection on that right side. So I, if you're shooting a rifle, I recommend double hearing protection on at least your shooting side, uh, just for that reason. If you if you shoot anything like me with a you know a high stock weld, or I'm sorry, not stock weld, but cheek weld. Um, but uh, for you know pistol inside, I would say double hearing protection. Outside, you'll probably get away with one of either, but you're going to be better off with the muff style uh, every time as far as protecting your ears. And you really can't beat the price for uh, you know the Impact Sports. Uh, I've looked at the MSA. And some of the other ones that are a little bit more expensive. Uh, the protection is very similar, but uh, they have a few different things that are nice about them with connecting, connecting to uh, communication equipment and stuff like that. I haven't really been able to drop, you know, 400 bucks on a pair, so I stay with the $50 ones. Yeah, I don't have uh, too much different to add. I've My experience is pretty much limited to, um, I've got some Peltors, you know, based on the price. They were a little uh, you know, cheaper. I think Tax 6s is what they are. Um, and I notice a lot of the, uh, in fact, I think all the full-time guys up at SIG, I think they are, uh, running the MSAs, so they must be pretty good. But again, they're, uh, they don't give them away, but they look cooler yeah. too. The MSAs do. Yeah. yeah. They look a heck of a lot cooler. Yep. So, um, I think that pretty much, uh, covers the docs email. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, Daniel, do you have one you want to read? Uh, yeah. All right. This is from my old buddy Lee Dingle. Gentlemen, I'm enjoying the new host setup. Compliments to you, John. Oh, very good. I'm just an ordinary gun. (laughs) I'm thinking he's saying guy, but he's just a regular old gun. Uh, Enjoys punching holes in paper, taking occasional training class. Uh, It's somewhat sad to stay here in NC. I know how it is. I'm from North Carolina. Uh, But several gun stores are going out of business. Uh, One of them has plate carriers at a good price, but I don't know which one to buy or which size to buy. Uh, There's a large, extra large, uh, small, medium. I want the most coverage I can get. Uh, when I try the larger one, I press out with a handgun, and my biceps hit the upper corners of the carrier. I can still press out, but I'm forced to push out harder. With the smaller carrier, I don't have this problem, but it seems like it covers less of my chest. Is limited mobility just the sacrifice, or is limited mobility just the sacrifice that has to be made for wearing armor? I plan to use it at the range, just in, uh, at the range, just in case for bumps in the night and at some training classes. Thanks for the insight, Lee. And he also signed it with uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Um, you know, I hate wearing body armor. And everybody hates wearing body armor, except for when they get shot. You know, then they love their body armor. But it's just, it's one of those necessary evils. we got to wear it. You know, that's the, the huge things that i got to preach all the time to people I'm training. Wear your PPE. Whether your personal protective equipment is... Uh, sunglasses, uh, plate carrier, side sappies, whatever it is, or whether you're just wearing concealable armor. you got to wear your PPE. You wear your gloves. You wear all that stuff. 
the the question about is this just is it a sacrifice? Uh, I would get armor that that I can maneuver in that I can shoot well in. Uh, I will not wear a vest. Uh, we have some vests that are issued called MTVs that we're supposed to wear. Uh, basically, if we're in a vehicle, uh, the infantry guys basically said for a couple of years that look, we cannot fight in this stuff. We need something else, uh, and then they've made it available to us to get the Eagle scalable plate carrier. And that's what everybody's wearing now, the infantry side of the house, until we finally get you know something better. It's not the best plate carrier, but it is good. You need to choose something that you can fight in, that you can move in, that you can use your arms in. That's not so cumbersome that you can't shoot the way you normally do. You may have to change up a few things uh, wearing your body armor, but for the most part, it should still be natural to you. And so I would say go with the smaller coverage. Having whatever coverage you have, it's still better than, than nothing. Uh, but you still want to maintain your, your ability to fight in it, if that makes sense. What do you think, Sean? Well, this will be one of those cases where we uh, have different perspectives because uh, I would say go with the larger one only because uh, some things in his email. First of all, he said he wants the most coverage he can get. Uh, he did say um, he tries on the larger one. He can press out the handgun. Um but his biceps hit the corner of the carrier. I think it's all going to be dependent on your application. And, you know, from what you were saying, you know, you guys are having to jump out of the back of an armored vehicle and stuff. Uh, I think you guys are probably needing uh, that mobility uh, from what he's talking about, uh, especially where he says, you know, part of the reason he's getting it is for his bumps in the night and so forth is, you know, home protection kind of thing. Um, so rather than, you know, hostage rescue stuff, it, it would kind of more seem like his application is going to be more the uh, the ensconced defender in his home. I would go with the larger. You know, it, it sounds like he can still shoot with it. It, it just doesn't feel the same. Yeah, if it just presses yeah. against his bicep, I, I think you're right on that one. If it just if it's causing problems, that's different. He didn't really say that. Yeah, you're right. He, he said that, uh, you know, he just feels it press. And, you know, I'm jaded. Uh, that's my problem is uh, – I think about that, and I'm thinking about, dude, you're going to have to wear that body armor for like six months straight and never take it off. You know, dude, you're going to hate life in that, so make sure it fits perfectly. And so, but really, that's not the case. But I'm, that's the way I'm, I'm jaded to where I think, when I think body armor, I'm like, oh, man, I got to wear that stuff every day of my life for my entire deployment. And, uh, yeah, that, that's really not the, the issue here, is it? Yeah, so so I I suggested you go with the uh, the larger, but uh, again, you know, it's all going to depend on your you know your application. Um, just I've been you know we use uh, obviously wear body armor pretty much every day too, and you know when we're on uh, you know talking about the SWAT team and stuff when we're doing our quals, we got to make sure that we've got the the full body armor that we have uh, just because it does it does change your platform a little bit it is harder to get that full extension and you know and the biceps do kind of hit that uh, that body armor but again um, I'm a big fan of having as most much coverage as I can and still be able to shoot in it so that's how I would go I would uh, I'd go with the larger so I'm gonna say one thing and then I'm gonna recall my recommendation and offer a new one um, oh, if you're it's shooting good with a, to be the editor of the podcast, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I'm going to leave all this in, though. I'm not going to cut it out. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to cut it out. With your pistol, press out harder. 
you know, and so that way you have the same position every time with the rifle. Uh, and I teach this when people are shooting carbines or rifle, whatever. Uh, you're wringing a towel, a dish rag. You're wringing the crap out, I think. When you do that, you're bringing those elbows in when you're wringing it. So as you've got that foregrip or whatever you're using on your rifle and you've got your pistol grip in your hand, bring those elbows in tight. Squeeze that body armor. Pinch that stock into your chest between your body armor. Squeeze that. So do that with whatever one you choose. But what I'm going to tell you to do is get both. If they're that good of a price, buy them both. Go take the shooting course. See which one you like in the shooting course, with a, preferably with a carbine or a pistol or whatever you're going to fight in your home with, if you have to ensconce in, in your home. Whichever one you don't like, throw it up on eBay. You can probably get the same price or even a better one if uh, that price is that good. So there's my recommendation. Or keep it and uh, give it to Mrs. Dingle if there's yes, Mrs. Dingle. exactly. And then she's all set up and something bad happens, you can both throw on your body armor and, and go. If you happen to like the large one and she likes the small one. Yep, and that's the way I, I, I've got so much like plate carriers and body armor and stuff like that. I, I never let it go. I, I almost sold one of my older ones uh, recently. I was going to you know, offer a few podcasters a uh, thing, but I decided not to sell it. And I just, I can't let that stuff go. It was like, you know, what if, what if something happens and I need to give this to, you know, so-and-so or like, you know, this, I'm, I'm here with these people and, you know, have to fight or something or something. Cra- That's just like the crazy side of my head, you know, like the zombie apocalypse with their shooting back kind of thing. Like this stuff could come in handy, man. I don't want to let it go. So I, I keep all that stuff. You can never have too much body armor. It's like bullets. Never have too much gear in general. Yeah, that's true. Well, you can wear too much gear, but you can't have too oh, much Oh, definitely. Gear. Yep, I'm with you. Well, I hope that answers your question, Lee. I know we kind of went all over the place with it, but it was, uh, I guess, kind of a fun one. And uh, anybody, Everybody else who sent questions in, we've got a few more that we're going to read later on. Uh, you guys keep sending them in. We really appreciate all the feedback that you guys have sent lately. It's been great reading the emails, the positive feedback. Uh, in the past month, I don't know if you check them, John, but we've got about three or four different uh, new iTunes reviews saying how awesome you are and how they really enjoy the show. And that is awesome. That's what that, those iTunes reviews are huge. When people, I know whenever I'm looking through for a new app or I'm looking for a new podcast or something, I hit those reviews and I read those reviews and maybe not every one of them, but at least the top ones uh, that have the most reviews on the reviews, I may or may not download them, you know, based on that, or I might just download one and not worry about it. Sometimes I'll read a review and I'll download everything because I'm like, you know, I'm about to go on a flight. Everybody seems to love this one. I'm downloading every one of them. So I've got something to listen to the entire time. So those things make a huge difference. Those are a, a very good way to promote the show and help us out. So we really appreciate you guys sending those. So thanks a lot. Yeah, it's a good point um, about the reviews because kind of like we talked about earlier, you know, I saw that uh, Massad book on on Kindle or whatever, but there were, you know, before I buy it, I look at the reviews and there were some that said there was some uh, issue with the conversion. But huh, uh, yep. so, yeah, it definitely helps uh, if we've got positive reviews. The ones that say positive stuff about me, I, I have my kids send those in. <laughs> nice. So pretty much everybody I know, I, I'll have them send one in. There you go. That's why we got so many reviews recently. Yeah, there you keep, go. Keep I just keep opening new, new iTunes accounts, you know. Is that how it works? <laughs> uh, yeah, because um, then, you know, another thing we can do is uh, open new Stitcher radio accounts with our uh, Gunfighter Cast promotion code. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. You got to go to the link on Stitcher, on Gunfighter Cast, hit Stitcher, put in the Gunfighter promo code. It's just Gunfighter. And then when you get the app and you download it and all that good stuff, 
put it in again whenever you're making your your username and password. John, you know how much money we've made from Stitcher so far? Uh, let's see. Is it less than a thousand dollars? Why? Did, yes, but it's still a lot of money. This is exciting. Okay. Drum roll. Seven dollars. Right. We've made seven dollars. Yes, sir. We're we're moving up there. We're gonna be rich in but, no time. But the uh, the best part is that's pretty much free money. Uh, you know, nobody's got to send oh, us any money. They exactly. just uh, that just money's free, from so. Stitcher. Yes. So I love it. That's seven dollars I didn't have. Yeah, and the the Stitcher is actually uh, pretty convenient. You know, if you're at work or something, you download that on your computer, and now you don't have to worry about uh, you know uploading podcasts and stuff. They just stream right there. Plus, it does. It looks at uh, you know if you listen to our show it's going to recommend shows that are you know, somewhat similar so it does have some good functionality to it as well besides making us some uh cashola cool well that's a that's about all i got john you got anything else uh, i mean the usual stuff we're up on facebook and uh google plus give us a, a like or a plus or all that uh good stuff lets us know that uh somebody's out there and cares about it yep uh the usual and Twitter. Don't forget Twitter. We're on there too. But yeah, that's. Uh, I don't really have anything else to talk about. And I thought you did an excellent John or excellent John. You did a good John today, John. Uh, excellent oh, job you. doing the OODA loop and covering all that. And uh, I hope Doc gets uh, his range bag and uh, some good hearing protection for him. If you're not so sure about those MSA, go ahead and buy John a set of MSA hearing protection, and he'll tell you how those are. I'm sure he'll he'll do that for you. I'll- Try those out as well if I have to. Again, just for the listeners. Try not because I want to do it, but I feel I owe it to you. Yep. All right, uh, Daniel, it's good to have you back, and uh, looking forward to uh, getting some more episodes out there. So until uh, next time, everybody, uh, please be safe. John, I had a great time talking to you as usual, and everyone out there in listener land, thank you so much for listening, downloading, and subscribing to GunfighterCast. Uh, it's always a pleasure to bring it to you, and uh, we'll do it again next time. And until then, come podcast. Time.